Do you have a love addiction? Do you even know that that's an actual real thing? When I was first introduced to Katie Grimes, a love addiction coach and host of the Anything for Love podcast, I was instantly fascinated by her work and bombarded her with like a bazillion questions to learn more. My name is Nicole Khalil, and I am pretty sure I'm a recovering love addict from my 20s and early 30s, and I don't say that flippantly. Today on the This Is Woman's Work podcast, Katie and I are going to dive into the love that we crave and might even be addicted to from others and how we can redirect that love back into ourselves so that we can build healthy relationships first with us and then with others. Thank you, Katie, so much for joining us. And let me start by asking you to explain what is a love addiction? How do we know if we have a love addiction? And what do you do as a love addiction coach? And I know that's a big question, so feel free to fill a lot of time with that. (laughs) Perfect. So what is love addiction? So love addiction is different for everybody, which is super confusing, right? When we think about addiction, we think about the fact that with alcoholism or drug addiction, there's an actual substance, right? We can see that they're using and therefore they're being altered by that state of using it. Um, When it comes to addiction, I think it often gets a negative connotation because the word addiction actually means someone who is compulsively doing something so that they will feel good, but they actually feel bad. They actually feel bad. And as a result of feeling bad, they're impacting other people. So we think about it, right? With um, alcoholism, you're picking up a physical drink in the hopes that you're going to escape from your reality or you just are craving it and in, or maybe dealing with something from the past and you don't want to deal with it. And so you pick up the drink and you feel terrible, literally and physically. And you may, in fact, actually impact other people with your selfishness, your dishonesty, your manipulation. You say you're going to show up, but you don't actually. These are really common characteristics of addiction just in general. When we layer love on top of it is really unique because while my friends now know that I'm a love addict openly, that they before couldn't really tell what was up with me. But for for me, how it showed up was I would, when I would see a hot guy, I would get warm, a warm sensation. Some drug addicts have actually said that's the sensation that they get when the drug is taking taking over their body. So with love addiction, it can show up with seeking attention outside of other ourselves onto other people. It can show up at work, like raising your hand to answer a question at work and really wanting your boss to think that you did a good job. And really, maybe it's the way you're dressing when you're going to that meeting or dressing when you're going to a date. It can also show up in a way where... Um, you are constantly trying to manipulate so that someone will give you the kind of love and attention that you're looking for. And it may also look like getting into a relationship with someone who's emotionally and physically unavailable, whether they are already married or in a relationship with someone else, or they're in a relationship with you and they're just not emotionally giving you what you need. Um, So that I think is a great example of, in my personal experience, what love addiction is. Um, And again, what's so unique about love addiction that and sex addiction as well is that it's unique to everybody. So the characteristics that you might have might actually be different than what I have, but the feelings underneath it are exactly the same. And that feeling amongst all addictions is the feeling of not feeling good enough. And so we try to feel better so that we can feel good. And it might mean we're feeling lonely. So we text that guy that we're interested in, um, even though we know, you know, it's late or we know that maybe they actually might not, you know, 
want to snuggle or go to dinner or whatever the case may be. Um, share with me too your other question because as as I was thinking about the first one, that's what came up. But yeah, so um, what is love addiction? How do we know if we have it? And what do you do as a love addiction coach? Yeah, so so, how, so I think how do you know you have it? I think if any of the questions that I just answered made you kind of sit up and go, oh shit. <laughs> Oh shit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that is great. There's also a website. Um, so sex and love addicts anonymous is a 12 step recovery program that I have been actively involved with for years. And what I love about that program, it's anonymous, but there's a 40 questions for self-diagnosis, which normally when we think of self-diagnosis, we're like thinking web MD, right? We're like, Oh gosh, we're going to go down the wormhole. What's nice is these questions are just 40 questions that ask you questions similar to, um, do you find that you, um, watch porn a lot or that you masturbate, um, during work hours, like things that are pretty significant that we don't really think about. But in fact, when you add them all up, you're like, Oh, wow. I, there's some common characteristics are that loneliness and that wanting to be loved. Um, and then as a love addiction coach, what I do is I specifically work with women and I work with women cause I'm not attracted to women. So it doesn't, it doesn't fuel my fire in my, as I'm recovering from sex, love and fantasy addiction. Um, but I work with them to get them to a place where they are first identifying what behaviors are not serving them well anymore. And this disease is one that I do not say this lightly. It will kill you if, if you don't get it arrested, right? If you don't put this substance down and that, that is that of love, right? So we identify what are the issues that are behaviors that they're doing that are just not serving them well anymore. And then we start to build what we call bottom lines, right? We start to say, okay, going forward, these are the habits that I'm going to change. But here's the thing, just like any habit, you can't do it alone. Mm -hmm. So I create a safe and trusted environment that is of the utmost confidence and discretion because let's face it, I lived with this disease for years and only was in recovery for four and never told anybody that I was going through this because I was so embarrassed and felt so much shame. And this comes up a lot with my clients. So we really work through and I say to them, I will love, I will teach you how to love yourself until you're able to love you. So it's really putting the practices in place of what are the things that you can do to take really good care of yourself as opposed to texting your former sex partner or, you know, wearing that scandalous dress to go to that work event um, or getting bombed at a work event, you know, whatever mm -hmm. it may be. And really trying to put, put some barriers around either end. I like to call it a buffer. You know, mm -hmm. I like to say, if you're going to go to a work event and you feel like you're going to be triggered there because you're going to, there's a guy or a girl that you're attracted to, why not call me before and call me after and we'll have a conversation about it so that you can really get in touch with your feelings. And so I know feelings are scary, right? Yeah. And so the biggest thing that I work with with my clients is just becoming aware of those feelings. You don't have to do anything with them, but you just have to be aware that I'm not just good, busy, or okay. Those aren't those aren't feelings, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> those are go-to responses that we don't even think about, right? Go-to responses. When I say how are you, most people say I'm good, busy, or okay, and I say to them, well, how are you really? <laughs> yeah. Because really, underneath it is a feeling of feeling joy or on the other side of that anger, sadness, and resentment. And so how do we live in a space where we have both? Because every day, multiple times a day, we're going to be in flux of the good feelings and the feelings that make us not feel so great. Yeah. So what you said that resonated with me is basically beneath all addictions is this feeling of not being good enough. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, 
And I think we as women can, and I don't, I don't know if this is totally true, but I think we as women can relate to that feeling maybe a little bit more, or maybe we feel it a little bit deeper. So is part of love addiction, the seeking validation or, or kind of trying to fill that void um, by seeking it in others? Am I saying that? You're saying that is spot on. Okay. That is that just to reiterate what you said, it is seeking validation the, the validation of, of ourselves, right, of wanting to feel good, we're seeking it with other people or other things like vacations, promotions at work, um, the material things that we're purchasing, so that we will feel good about ourselves, that we won't feel lonely, we won't feel like we just are not good enough. Right. So we were talking about this a little earlier. And um, I think sometimes uh when you're addicted to something, or maybe at all times when you're addicted to something, it messes with your integrity a little bit. And what I mean by that is you, you start doing things that, you know, years back or months back, you are like, I would never do this, right? Uh, and um, one of the things that we had talked about was, you know, sleeping with somebody at work, like a boss or an employee, or sleeping with somebody who's already committed or already married, and, and wondering like, okay, Yes, it's an addiction. And why is it that we do that? Like, is is there a part of us that as women think, if we can get this person who is, you know, cheating on their family or is doing something so low integrity, like sleeping with one of their employees or something like that, it's almost like if we can get them to choose us, if we can get them to love us, then it proves something to us. And, and, and so I guess my question is, is that part of it is there the, where we are so looking for that validation that we let go of our beliefs and our integrity and, 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 and in search of it? Yes, we do. Okay. We do. And I think a big part of it is, is that there's this unattainable goal, right? When somebody is the boss or somebody is married and it, it's almost like the, the thrill of the chase, the thrill of the okay, if this person changes, if, if I get them to behave the way that I want them to, that it means that I'm good enough, mm-hmm. that somebody loves me enough to change, yep. which is so like, I look back on that younger version of myself and I, and I say, it's so sad because if there's anybody who's listening and they're feeling this feeling or have done this behavior, right? There's no shame or guilt in it, which definitely comes up. But I say that on the other end of it, which is there's no shame or guilt that I behave that way. Instead, there's a deep sadness. There's a deep sadness for that young girl who, or whatever age you are, who did the best she could under the circumstances. Because I know for myself, I did those things because I didn't love myself Mm -hmm. and I desperately wanted somebody to love me. Sure. I desperately wanted somebody to love me at any cost. And what was interesting about the men that I were date, was dating who were married or who were in other relationships with people is that they would tell me that everything was not okay on that end. They would tell me that there was something special about me, that they would tell me that they loved me or they showed me this sense of intimacy. And what was confusing about it was that there was this sense of quote unquote intimacy where I felt that they're sharing very candidly with me what they probably do not share with their spouse or the person that they're with, and therefore I'm special. And if I'm special and I'm different, then therefore I must be loved. Mm -hmm. And 
I didn't tell, you know, I told maybe a handful of people that I had been, you know, engaging in this way, but I only told those people that wouldn't judge me and wouldn't criticize me. Mm-hmm. Um, because I also knew that they would enable me to behave that way. And it wasn't until I started spending time with my own coach who said, who didn't shame or guilt me, mm-hmm. but instead said, instead, she said to me, you are continuing to do these things that you think are going to bring you joy, Mm -hmm. right? You think that he's going to leave her or whatever, but you continue to feel bad. Mm -hmm. And every time it happens, every time you sleep with them or every time they text or every time you're flirting, you actually feel worse every single time. Do you see that? And I was like, yeah, I see that. And she's like, only you are going to get to a place where you're going to see through the people that you're surrounding with, that they have a beautiful life and that's what you want, right? Okay, that's great. But you're comparing yourself to them. Yeah. So it's not actually helping you. In fact, you're shitting on yourself even more because you're like, how come I don't, how come I can't do that? Like, why is love so hard? Right. And she's like, but you'll eventually get to the point where the pain will be so bad that you'll want to change. And that happened for me. You know, it was a series of unfortunate events where I was doing one thing after another that made me feel bad. And at the end of that run, yeah, it was so low and I was sitting in my car all by myself and I had just had sex with a guy that was not available in his car. Right. And I, and he had this prestigious job and I could see him on TV and like, there was this life that I was fantasizing. That's where the fantasy addiction comes in. Fantasizing about what life would be like. Mm -hmm. And as he drove away home to her, this deep sadness resonated with me that I said, I deserve to, and this was the first time I believed it. I had heard it. Mm -hmm. This was the first time I said, I deserve to be sitting next to someone in the car and they're holding my hand, telling me that they love me. I don't deserve to have somebody whose whose taillights I'm literally chasing. Right. Well, uh, so a couple things that you said resonated with me. Um, number one, I think back, you know, on my life at different parts and, and it may have played out in a, in a totally different way, but like this thing of, I think back on my young self and the mistakes that I made. And, and I always say the same thing. I don't have shame. She was young and I forgive her. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's easier to do with some distance, right? I don't know that I feel like that about things that maybe I did that I'm not so proud of in the last week or something like that. But, um, you know, I, I, I try to come from a place of forgiveness with myself in the same way I would with other people that I love. Now, my second thought is now more of a question. What is the difference and what is the same between a sex addiction and a love addiction? Yeah. Um, so a couple of things that come to mind with, we talked about the fact that with love addiction, um, I was referring to the women that I coach, right? Women, this, this, these diseases are impacted regardless of your sexual orientation, your ethnicity, or your gender mm-hmm. has no bias. It okay. affects all of us. What I find is very common in my research is that men identify as having a sex addiction. It's this compulsive need to want to have sex, be it porn, prostitution, or with somebody else, their spouse, cheating, you name it. Women mostly identify as love addicts who act out sexually. Okay. One night stands, cheating, um, porn, masturbation, um, not so much the prostitution. I don't hear that a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the difference between the two is the way you act out. 
So sex is sex, right? We know what that looks like. Sex addiction is a little bit easier. So like when we heard that Tiger Woods had that sex addiction all those years ago, which he still does, but like, you know, had that and he, it was, he was cheating. He was with his wife. He was actively pursuing them via text, sex messaging. Like those are concrete, tangible examples. Love is more of a flirting. It's a feeling. It's the way you dress. It's the conscious decision that you make to wink to someone. Mm-hmm. It's those types of little behaviors that you think are actually quite normal because we've been taught as a society to be overly sexual and to be flirtatious to get what we want. Um, but that w- I would say is probably the two biggest differentiators that I see. Okay. So Katie, what are some of the behaviors and signs of a love addict? Uh, you mentioned a few already, flirting, obviously it acting out via having sex. What are some of the other signs? I've heard you mention like stalking and, and seeing the love of your life everywhere. Those are the ones I think that resonated with me. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. So I have an episode on my podcast called, um, like, you know, new puppy, you single, like cute puppy, you single, because there are many a times where I would see somebody on the street and I'd be like, Oh my God, their dog is so cute. And I'd go over and talk to them. And then before you know it, you start chatting it up. And, but it's the feeling that you get when you walk away. It's the fantasizing of like, Oh, I wonder if this is how I'm supposed to meet this person. Or is that going to be my dog someday? But I thought too, I'd pull up some of the questions from the SLAA 40 questions for self-diagnosis. Cause this is really, really powerful. So some of the questions include, have you ever tried to control how much sex you have or how often you would see somebody? Do you find yourself unable to stop seeing a specific person, even though that seeing that person is destructive to you? Do you make promises to yourself or rules for yourself concerning your sexual or romantic behavior that you find you can't follow? That was a big one. I still like pretend I would be like, I'm not going to shave my legs. And then you don't shave your legs and then you're like still hooking up with someone. And as a result of that, you're like trying to put these boundaries in place. Um, A couple other ones. Have you ever felt that you had to have sex? Do you believe that someone can fix you? Do you feel that you are only, or only you value what it is that you have in your relationship and your ability to perform sexually is tied to that? And then do you find yourself in a relationship that you can't leave? So those are just some of the questions. Again, there's like 40 of them, but I think that all of those are really significant when it comes to pausing and asking yourself the question, are you impacted by love addiction? Yeah. I mean, I can very vividly remember, uh, you know, my first sort of heartbreak relationship and, and, you know, wanting that relationship back and not being able to let it go. And then I think what happened for me was, uh, the showing up at places where I thought he might be and, you know, being like accidentally running into them. And of course I looked, you know, as good as I could, because then they were obviously going to see what they'd been missing. Um, <laughs> I'm laughing because I'm having flashbacks yeah. of the time I like literally tried to break into a bar <laughs> for this exact reason. I was 20 and like knew my license back my fake license backwards and forwards to try to get into this bar. And they let me in, but they kept the idea because they were right. like, you're lying to us. And I'm right. like, you have to let me in this bar. Yeah. Well, yeah. You have no idea. This is the moment where he's going to realize what do you, yeah. Um, I can also, I think a lot of women can relate to this is like the not just stalking him on social media, but like the people, it looked like he might be dating. Yes. Oh, uh-huh. 
Um, that comes up a lot with my clients. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I'm sure some of these behaviors in and of themselves don't automatically mean you have a, a love addiction. Sometimes it's just, but the combination of those things is probably a good sign. Like you said, the ones that you read, I can remember the feelings that I had in my twenties and the things that I was doing. And I could have answered yes to a lot of those, maybe not all of them, but a lot of them. Um, which is why in our conversation, I I was like, I, I really do think that I struggled with this and didn't know it. So how, what are the things to do if you're thinking you might have a love addiction? Obviously, working with somebody like you, a love addiction coach, but what might be some of the other recommendations you would make? Yeah. And I just want to go back to your your point too, that when you when you can check off a couple of yeses to those questions, I think when you p- pick them out individually, you might say to yourself, oh, I don't have a problem. But when you start to add them all up, it's more important regardless of how many boxes you can check yes to, it's more important. How do you feel? Yeah. Because the things that I used to do then, many of which were in that 40 questions, um, I don't do anymore. And when I do find myself trying to do them, um, like sometimes still slipping into fantasy about what life could be like with a, with a former sex partner, I find that, um, I redirect my thoughts. Mm-hmm. I call my coach and then you would ask like, what else do you do? So I go to SLAA, which is a 12 step recovery program that is for free. I have no affiliation with them other than me being a fellow. Um, and meaning they don't pay me, they don't compensate me. There's anonymity. No one knows my last name there. And so, um, if you are interested, if you are, the website is SLAAF ws.org. Um, and you can just literally type in sex and love addiction. There is recovery treatment programs that are becoming more and more available on a national and international scale. Um, so there are many people I know whom have gone to recovery for 30 days, similar to that of a detox program that you would for alcohol and, and drug addiction, because it is that powerful. Mm-hmm. It, it is that type of thing where we've always been taught to love other people and to go above and beyond to be loved, but at, but at the cost of what? Yeah. And for many of us, it has resulted in wanting to commit suicide or in fact, knowing some people who have as a result of this, Mm -hmm. because again, underneath it is this feeling that we're not loved and we're not feeling good enough. So Mm -hmm. I would say that if any of those questions, even just one of them poked out as a yes to you, but you just find that you're saying to yourself, gosh, is wondering if, if love is really this hard or you're wondering, like, am I going to lose it all if anybody were to find out that I'm behaving this way? Like, those are really good signs that you are suffering from this disease and that yeah. you're not alone, too. Um, it made sense to me when you said that men tend to identify with a sex addiction, whereas women tend to identify with a love addiction. Um, your perspective, I don't know that you have an expertise on this, but your perspective, what part does it play that society tells women, you know, that we should want to find true love. There's this fantasy love, like you, the sleeping beauty and the prince kisses you alive. And, um, you know, all the sort of messages that we get from a very young age as girls and, and women, does that play a part? Does that fuel this in any way? And for those of us raising girls, is there anything we should be mindful of. 
Yeah. I'm going to add a little note to that for girls and boys. Yeah. Because I think there's a lot to be said for both. I think, um, you know, I, I liked what you said. You're like, maybe you're not an expert on it, but I feel like um, in my experience with being a woman who grew up in the 80s and the 90s and the 2000s, like, I have been always been raised to aspire to marriage. And there's a line in Beyonce's song where she breaks and this woman comes on. I forget the woman's name. She's a powerful leader. And it's a recording of her saying, you know, here we have been teaching women to aspire to marriage and yet we haven't asked men to do the same. And I, I all oh, that line always sends a shiver up my spine because it's really powerful. Um, I think we, I think what I've found in my experience of dating men is that men aspire to have a career and to be driven by money and success and the material things. And then once they've reached that level of success, then they aspire to marriage where women aspire the opposite. They aspire to have marriage and that safety and that sense of security, because that will enable them to go and have an, a, an incredible career. Many of whom we are not just in the career that we started when we first got out of college or, or high school, but instead we are maybe doing another round of something else. And so yeah. I think what I've found is that as, as we both men and women are raising these children is to aspire children to feel their feelings, to really allow them when they're crying or when they're feeling joy to express that and to have take a moment to encourage them to actually verbalize what it is that they're saying, excuse me, what it is they're feeling. And by doing that, I think what it does is it, it allows us to be on a mutual level, on a respectful level. And so I, I was listening to Oprah and Chanel Miller, who, if you don't mm. know her, yet, oh my gosh, her, I love her book name, Know My Name. Yeah. And for those of the listeners that don't know, she was the woman who was raped by Brock Turner, who mm -hmm. uh, was at the Stanford, Stanford, yeah. Stanford University. Mm -hmm. And so Oprah asked her, is it a conversation that we need to be having with, I think her questioning was, do we need to be having conversations with men and women about alcoholism? And Chanel's response was, no, we need to be having conversations around consent. I think the same can be said for, you know, sex, love and fantasy addiction. Oftentimes people who are hurting will hurt other people mm -hmm. and they'll hurt them by, you know, trying to, you know, say that they're available when they're not actually available. They'll sleep with many people or they will cause harm with rape or sexual assault and really feeling this sense of power and control. And that goes for both men and women. Mm -hmm. I've, I've heard this multiple times. And so I think it's really having a conversation with our youth and at any age to be able to say, we have all been through traumatic experiences. No one has been scarred without a, a car accident, a death in the family, a dysfunctional parent, mm -hmm. um, you know, a loss of some sort, but it's how do we, how do we deal with those feelings? We don't just send people right back to work, right? right? We allow people to take as much time as they need to grieve the feelings that they're grieving, even when they do mm -hmm. go back to work. Um, and I think that was a big, powerful part of my story, um, where in the corporate world, I had asked uh, in a period of three months, I had lost two family members and was, was violently raped and was I'm expected so to just get back to work yeah. and was told that like, okay, get back, you know, get back to work. We're good. Glad to have you here. And, and you know, what people don't understand, whether it's postpartum or, um, PS, PTSD is that those symptoms are very similar mm -hmm. and that we need to be mindful that when we are triggered, there are feelings that arise, but we want to show up and do the best that we can at work. Um, because that ultimately drives a lot of things, how much money we make, how much financial freedom we have, yeah. how happy we are in our relationship with ourselves and others. And so it impacts everything. So how do we really rise up is by teaching these children at a very young age, 
let's not sweep feelings under the rug. Let's sit down and talk mm-hmm. about them. I think, you know, that's a really important distinction. We've talked about sex and I, I think, you know, some of our listeners probably have had moments of, oh my God. Um, and it's not something we talk about in our society very comfortably, but this isn't so much a commentary about sex. This is a common or even love. It's a commentary on our relationship with it and, and the feelings that we generate you know, so being in love with somebody, and I, I, I believe we're wired for connection, we're wired for love. And, and being in love with somebody in a healthy way is one of the best things. If you want to have sex with multiple partners, and you feel great about it, and you feel totally healthy, then that's okay, too. It's, it's the where you're coming from, and why you're doing it, and how you feel during and after. That's really well said. Okay. That's really well said. Yeah. I think that's a great summary of what I've experienced myself and what I've seen other clients experience is it's, it doesn't matter if you want to be in a, in a polygamous relationship, it matters how you feel. And so what I find is I've gotten a look up actually quite a few questions about polygamy. And I usually say from my own experience that what I find that it is, is that there is a fear of intimacy. So underneath actually any addiction as well is a fear of intimacy. It's a fear if you really get to know me for who I am, Mm -hmm. you'll leave. You won't want to be with me. I'll lose everything, including my job and my house and everything else. Mm -hmm. And so it's really making that distinction that it's okay to do things that feel good as long as you're not harming yourself or anyone else. And I think that that's the confusion when we're in a corporate setting and we we're out drinking with our coworkers and we look like we're having fun. We -hmm. do, right? We see that one laughing and his eyes are all glazed over. And yeah, you know, I, I distinctively remember somebody that I used to work with and, and he was a blast to hang out with, but it's how I felt after I left. Yeah. I felt tired. I felt lethargic. I felt like I was putting on a show I felt like I was really uncomfortable in my five inch heels. Mm -hmm. And really, what was I aspiring to do? I was aspiring to close the deals. I was aspiring to maybe find a boyfriend and a lover and a husband. Mm -hmm. And I was constantly on the move. Like, what can I get more, 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 more? And that leaves you feeling really depleted when you're not giving. And then so I would go to the other end and Mm -hmm. I would give too much of myself And that would just exhaust me too. So you asked a question very early on in your opening about sort of the relationship to self. And really for me, finding that balance has been crucial in making sure that my, I feel good enough and that my sex, love and fantasy addictions or any of my addictions don't pop up. Yeah. Um, Katie, this has been amazing. I, uh, like I said, I, I could have, I bombarded you with a bunch of questions earlier. I could have gone on with a bazillion more. Um, but if you're listening and you want to learn more about uh, love addiction or learn more about Katie and her work, uh, she does private coaching. So you can connect with her on katiegrimes.com. Uh, you can also follow her on her on social media. So kg.katiegrimes on Instagram. Um, and listen to the Anything for Love podcast where she talks all about love addiction um, and gets really real and honest about it, which I think uh, the world can definitely use a lot more of. And, And here's my take. We as humans are wired for connection. We all desire to love and to be loved. And we have the opportunity to reconnect with what healthy love feels and looks like. 
in our lives, how we define it for ourselves. And we have an opportunity to be honest with ourselves about how we're relating to love and what it is that we're ultimately seeking. Filling up our own hearts, taking care of ourselves, choosing ourselves. These are all important parts of love so that we can love ourselves and love each other and and, and other people as fully as possible. And this, my friends, is people work, but most certainly woman's work.